All right, gang, welcome to Door to Door Insider Season 3. Today's special guest is Jamie Lynn. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's been working in the mental health field for over 10 years. She is most known for specializing in the treatment of narcissistic abuse and recovery. It has become her life's focus to help people heal and work through issues related to abuse and trauma. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. So full disclosure, Jamie is my therapist. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we just shared a funny moment right before the podcast started, and I read through Jamie's bio as a practice round, and when I realized that she was specialized in, in narcissism, I asked, am I a narcissist? <laughs> <See>? <laughs> and thank God she's like, no. <laughs> yeah, look, like a good a good dead ringer for not being a narcissist is asking if you are one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's really good. Yeah. Um so just to kind of um preface the episode, you know, I'm in the door-to-door industry. You know, it's sales and I I deal with a lot of people in my organization above me, below me that we work with and it it's a really tough industry that we're in. Because it, you know, it makes it makes people face themselves in a lot of ways that they don't. But I, I, and the reason that I wanted you to come on is because I think there is a lot of people that are um, untreated or not um, vulnerable enough to go get therapy. And so I've, you know, over the last couple of years, really tried to be as vulnerable in public as possible to try and inspire other people to be vulnerable. Because I found a lot of mental and spiritual healing in my vulnerability, realizing that I need help with things that I don't understand. So, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about my story on the show and I wanted to bring you on the show to maybe help inspire other people um, to get therapy if they need it. So I wanted to start with a little bit about you. I like to do some biography. So how did you kind of grow up and, and get into therapy? What was some of the early years like for Jamie? Um, well, growing up, you know, without getting into too much detail was really tough for me. Mm. Um, I grew up around a lot of abuse and and around a lot of trauma, so I didn't really have a very healthy upbringing. Um, but I did have, uh, I did have some, some light along the way, people that were there to encourage me, uplift me and, and support me. And, um, you know, my, you know, my faith in God was a big part of kind of healing and and working through those things. And I think I, I think I kind of really kind of wanted to, you know, use those experiences in a way that would help other people. That was really important to me. Mm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't intentionally wander into therapy. I wasn't ever like growing up as a young child thinking that this is what I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to dig up dinosaurs. That's really what that's really what I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, but I was in high school. It's a funny story how I actually like started pursuing the mental health path. Okay. I was in high school, and you sit in rows in high school, right? Yep. And I had a teacher, and we had to do like an eye search paper, which is just a career search paper. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I looked at the girl in front of me, and she had psychologist down. And I said, "Whoa." that sounds good. I'll pick that. (laughs) But then I actually started doing the research for the paper. And I was like, you know, I think I'd be really good at that. And and I was and I stuck with it. And that's kind of what led me on that journey. So your your journey started in high school. 
It did. Yeah. You know, when you're in a helping profession, I think people naturally gravitate towards you as a helper, a healer. Mm -hmm. I always, even before I was pursuing that, I always found myself in a helping role. I always found myself as, uh, being around people and people would just tell me things Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't be able to tell other people. Um, and so I think that that's part of like, that's part of the gift, you know, um, and, and, and being, where where you are so you've been in so you started in high school and then did, is there a college necessary for this yes yeah, so there's a lot of education uh, behind what i had to do so uh once you graduate from high school i went right into college and i got uh, i got my bachelor's in psychology uh, i also got a minor in criminology i have special certification in um, trauma work victim services LGBTQ plus, uh, all that stuff. I just kind of started adding things on and just kind of building my repertoire. Um, after you graduate uh, from college, then you have to get your master's, which is uh, more specialized training. Um, and, and so I got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And then after you do that, you need to get, uh, you know, you have to do like what they call like an interim, basically, where mm-hmm. you're actually practicing. Mm-hmm. And you have to do 3,000 hours of like direct client therapy. There's other things that accumulate that 3,000 hours. And then you're eligible to take your test. Then you're eligible. You're eligible to take your test, you know. Um, And then, you know, in California, which is where I initially was licensed, there's two tests. In Nevada, Mm -hmm. there's only one. Um, But I started in California. That's where I was uh, born and raised. And so I passed my first time, which was really great. And then, um, then I moved to Nevada and had to do it all over again. Mm. Had to get licensed here as well because there's no reciprocity. It's pretty. That's that's that's, that's a lot. It's a I, lot of school. I didn't, I didn't realize that. It, I didn't realize all that. I didn't realize yeah. how much went into it. So, yeah, look at the big brain on Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe I should have asked you all that before we started therapy. Now I'm like super impressed. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. In there's the right a lot hands. of work that goes. There's a lot of work that goes into it for sure. And I did extra extra stuff as well. So, and I just we'll just talk about you for a little bit. Um, so obviously you're really into fitness as well. Yes, so what has yeah. your kind of fitness journey been? You know, I always, I always liked fitness. Um, I did, I did ballet when I was young. Okay. Um, so I, I grew up kind of dancing and then I became a cheerleader. I did, uh, I, I did cheerleading for a little bit, um, in my hometown and then, um, I, school really took over for me and that became my focus was, mm-hmm. was doing that. That was everything to me. I loved school. So yeah. <laughs> well, I w- I have perfect attendance everything. I never missed a day. I loved it. So I was always there and that became my focus. Um, fitness, uh, uh, once, once I kind of got into college, I lost a little bit of my fitness Mm -hmm. and I remember focus, right? Your focus probably changed dramatically. Yeah. And I was used to kind of eating whatever I wanted because I was Mm -hmm. so physically active with all the sports that I was doing. And then when I hit college, I just, I only was focused on my education. Mm. And so I started to not feel good. I remember I was driving and I, I remember my jeans didn't fit the way that they used to. My seatbelt wasn't the, Same. It, it little things like that. Mm-hmm. It meant for me, it was a seatbelt. And I was like, what is going on? And I've never actually even weighed myself before. And I weighed myself and I was kind of surprised at the number that I saw. And I wasn't super overly critical with myself, but I was like, you know what? I need to make a change here. And so I started going to the gym and I started working with a personal trainer because I had no idea really. I knew how to move my body, but I didn't know how to shape my body. Mm. 
And so I got a personal trainer and I've had a personal trainer ever since. And for me, and now I know how to move my body and build muscle if I want. But um, for me, it's 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 my therapy in yeah. many ways. And so it's super important to me to do something physically active. I've, I've always wondered <coughs> about um, this. This may, I don't know how this will sound. I've always wondered how therapists thought, like mm-hmm. how are their relationships? How are their marriage? How yeah. is their self-talk? You know, so as when you went through that change, you were in college, you're going, I'm assuming at that time you're going to college for therapy. Yes, I was. Yeah. How, how did your internal mechanisms develop while you were learning those things? Like, is it, is it easy to understand other people and hard to understand yourself because you're human, right? So you're going through, you're having the same emotions and the same problems and the same, you know, self-talk and all these different things. How did, how did you learn? How did you develop um, while you were learning therapy and or just humans, like human behavior, emotions, like how did you develop internally with that? That's a great question. And I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. So I kind of have to think about that. How did <laughs> I do that? Um, I've always been an observer of myself. Mm. I have always observed my own behavior and I've always been very introspective. Not everybody's like that. So I analyze myself and I and I think that's part of what drew me to the profession too, is I was probably trying to figure my own shit out mm. as well. Yeah. And I was looking at healing parts of myself. And when I when I had the privilege of being in therapy and benefiting from the knowledge that I was learning and then applying that to myself, mm. you know? And then like I remember just learning concepts like empathy, okay? And, you know, you learn these core conditions uh, that are like the foundational principles of doing any kind of therapy, right? Mm. And, and I remember learning, learn it like, you know what empathy is, but do you, can you describe it? Can you show it? Can you teach it? Right. Learning these things. And I was like, let me actually practice empathy. I'm an empathetic person, but let me actually practice being empathetic. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so I, when I was learning these things, I would start applying that. I would apply that just in my daily conversations. And then I would apply that on myself as well. Like if I would, like if when I was learning CBT, there's many different therapeutic approaches. I like CBT. What is CBT? CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Okay. I don't just do CBT. I like CBT. It's not everything. Okay. But it's doing, it's a a lot of stuff that we've done. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a lot of like restructuring, reframing, um, pulling out the subconscious, uh, script that mm-hmm. you're telling yourself and then mm-hmm. providing corrective feedback, Got it. regulating your emotions as well. Mm-hmm. So, so I would do that. I would, I would be become, I became like an observer of my own thoughts and I was like, do I want to accept this or not? You know? Mm-hmm. And I took full ownership and full accountability over myself first. And if there was anything that I wanted to change, I didn't point the finger at anybody else. I went inward and I gave myself the permission and I gave myself the power to change that. I never, I was never ever one of those people that I was like, it's your fault. I was Mm. never like that. I didn't wallow in my pain for too long. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's really cool. So are you just like a spiritual badass now or? I'm, I mean, I don't know. I I wish I would love to call myself a (laughs) spiritual badass. I'm definitely very spiritual. I don't know how much of the badass is in there, but I try. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. You know, and I want to talk about some of the stuff that we've been through Mm -hmm. So I can be vulnerable, but I had not realized that you specialized in narcissist, narcissistic abuse and recovery. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd like to talk about um, what is narcissism? Well, 
You're going to really go down the rabbit hole with me because I know way <laughs> too much about this. Okay. Um, look, narcissism, just to keep it uh, simple, the world will think, uh, well, the world will see it as a very selfish person. Okay. okay. And that's, that, that is, but we, narcissism, you have to, we have to kind of look at it like a spectrum. Okay. We all have narcissistic traits and tendencies. So we all have times where we're grandiose. We all have times where uh, we have elevated self-esteem. We all have times that we might think that we're better than somebody else, but narcissists present these traits in a really like harmful way. And they're, they have a sense of entitlement. They don't have much empathy and remorse for other people, right? We can all have moments where we're like that, but that mm. doesn't make the, us a narcissist, right? Mm. So Part of what I do is creating that separation in that space for somebody uh, to, you know, say, okay, this is what narcissists look like and this is just somebody having a moment. Like it's really important to have that conversation so people have knowledge because anybody having a bad moment can see these traits and think that they're a narcissist. So that mm. distinction is really important to make. Um, and then there's a difference between an actual narcissist and then somebody with narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. Narcissist is not a diagnosis in the DSM. And for those of you that don't know, the DSM is a diagnostical and statistical, statistical manual for mental disorders. That's our Bible. That's what we go so on. So narcissism is an actual mental disorder? Narcissist personality disorder is a mental health disorder. Narcissists are not. Got it. Okay. So there is a very, like, there is no narcissist in the DSM, mm. at least not right now. <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> so when, when we talk about, so I, I think I'm, I'm tracking you pretty well. So there's, um, I feel that I've known narcissists before. Um, I, I think, you know, there's definitely some in the sales industry. It's a great place for them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and when it, you say just reading off your, um, your bio here, it, the treatment of narcissist abuse and recovery. Mm -hmm. So you're also focusing on people who have been abused by narcissism or affected by narcissism yes. and helping. So you're not only helping a narcissist try and recover or identify and fix, but also people who have been abused. And <clears throat> I've been in, I, I know, and obviously I can't diagnose a narcissist, but I feel that I have known some. Mm -hmm. And even in the at work mostly um the relationships that we've been in it's they're very it's very it's a very troublesome um relationship where it's it is almost abusive where there's things that are said in slight mm -hmm. yes very it's we like passive aggressive we call those devaluations yeah yes. so yeah. talk about the the people who are abused by narcissists and how how they need help well that is really what i specialize in any if you've actually look it's it's hard because you have to make sure you're actually a lot of people seek me out because they think their ex is a narcissist. Mm. You're, there's so many I have a, like just because somebody hurt you doesn't make them a narcissist. I have mm. to say that. OK, if you're actually dealing with a narcissist and you need to know how to read the room. OK, because not everybody that's a dick is a narcissist. OK, yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, sometimes some people are just assholes and jerks. OK, yeah. but that still doesn't make them a narcissist. OK, mm. so I have to kind of say that as a disclaimer. Got it. But if you're actually dealing with somebody who really was a narcissist, then that's a traumatic experience. And you need so, usually a lot of support because there's so much physical abuse a lot of times depending on what kind of narcissist you have really oh yeah physical there's a whole narcissist abuse cycle that people go through it's actually very predictable and i help people work through that because it's 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 fairly easy to know what a narcissist is going to do actually mm. um they're extremely predictable creatures and um i would say that like 
anytime you have exposure to a narcissist, you can present with signs of, we call it CPTSD, which is complex PTSD, which is just prolonged exposure to a trauma. Mm. And you can have things that resemble, you know, nightmares, flashbacks, you know, you're hypervigilant, you're experienced threat responses, which, you know, you're familiar with, right? Yeah, like right. things like that. So uh, there is real treatment uh, and support for that. It's not just in your head. And one of the biggest struggles is that a lot of times the victor, the, the victims feel like they're the offenders. Mm. And so they don't usually seek help. A lot of times I'll see narcissists in my office and they tell me that they're the victims. And it's, mm. it's, it's very easy to fool a lot of mental health professionals because they present better than the victim. Mm. And they, they usually have better speech. They're usually, uh, if you have a victim narcissist, they're the wounded ones, right? And it's hard to read through the lines. You have to be really skilled at diving out who's the real victim. Well, that's, that's deep. Mm -hmm. um, and just <clears throat> kind of a, a shout out here. I mean, some of, well, the reason that I wanted to get you um, and I don't feel that I have any of, of that in my current life with my circle of influence, but I, I'm glad that we talked about it. I think the point of today's show for me is, you know, I have a, a pretty broad audience and, you know, the call out is that if anybody hears anything that, um, that rings true for them in their life, whether a victim of narcissism or narcissism or any of the other things that we'll talk about, um, you know, seek help, seek treatment. Don't, don't live with these things. That's, I lived with a lot for a long time. And so this show is just um, to help, you, you know, my listening base um, know that there's help out there. So that's, that's really cool. So some of the things I want to talk about, some of the things that I'm okay to talk about with our stuff. And so my story with you was, and I'm, I don't think I've told you this. Okay. So um, one of my friends gave me your number because you do telehealth. And my story was that I had been in um, therapy off and on, me being off and on, for a few years with a different therapist who focused primarily on EMDR. And my specific um, experience with EMDR was fairly traumatic. I only did it once, but it took me almost two years to do it. A lot of it had to do with you know, uh, my mom being an alcoholic in my childhood and I never sexual, I never suffered sexual abuse in my life, but I suffered the abuse of alcoholism and drug use in my family. And so there's a lot of really deep cuts in there. And, you know, I went through this buildup process of getting to this EMDR, a lot of stuff with my mom and I did the EMDR and it just, it, it wrecked me. It was so it was so traumatic. It, I just didn't, it was so bad. And then I left that therapist and I, you know, kind of do what I always do. I co-sign my own bullshit to not go back <laughs> again and again and again. Cause I'm like, I, I was scared of it. Like it literally terrified it can me. It really can um, re-trigger re some of the memories yeah. and it can be re-traumatizing. It was. And so, um, you know, I, I knew that I know that I'm better when I'm running my thoughts past someone else. And so, you know, the universe kind of delivered when the student's ready, the teacher will appear and somebody gave me your phone number and we talked and we did our first telehealth. And, um, this is the part that I've never told you. So we're doing our telehealth. I'm on my phone. You're on your computer and we're talking and you say, tell me your story. And I tell you my story. And about 10 minutes into our conversation, you go, I don't know if this is true, but I have a feeling that you hate yourself. Yeah. And my first thought was, 
screw you. You're, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, we'll probably never see each other again. And, and I'm, you know, and then in my head, you're talking and you're saying just, you know, you were trying to kind of deliver it softly. And my head, I'm like, I'm a great father. I'm a great husband. I'm successful. And you're like, just think about it. And I'm like, okay. And we finished. Um, I actually, I'm, I'm a very emotional person. I cry a lot when I'm talking about something that I care deeply about or that affects me. Um, it's just who I am as a person. And so we actually had a, a really good first meeting. And what happened was that you said, I think you hate yourself. I think there's parts of you that you hate. And that stuck in my head like a thorn. And so at first my reaction was, that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. And then as I started paying attention to myself over the next week, um, I started paying attention to my self-deprecating self-talk. Um, what I was, you know, there were things that I was doing in the gym where I was comparing myself and we, you identified it for me, which was levelizing. And I, I'd be in my car and see somebody that would levelize people. Um, and then I would hate that I would do it. And I would, so hate. Was this negative feedback this, loop? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I want to talk a, a little bit about that. So for me, um, and, and, and what you talked about earlier is identifying the traumas and, and what did you call it? It's the type of therapy that. CBT. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I didn't even know that's what we were doing, but that's what we're doing. What, what's helped me is so, and I'll, I'll just talk a little bit about my experience with it. When you said that, the first thing that I noticed was that I would go to the gym and I would see other people in the gym that were more fit than me. And I would pick them apart. And it's something that I've almost always done. And then I started wondering why, because now I'm paying attention to it. I'm like, well, why do I care what that person looks like? And then I started getting angry at myself for doing it and hating that I was doing it. But I realized that I had been hating that I was doing it. I just did it. And it was something that bothered me. And I had these um, thoughts about uh, my, my, the way that I looked, my physique. And I would hate myself. Like if I wouldn't eat right the night before, I'd wake up and I would hate myself and just like mentally destroy myself. And what you told me, and this is what I want you to talk about because I don't think it's unique to me. We can broaden it. But what you told me that I was doing was that I was levelizing people because so what you said was that my logical mind understood my success as a father. My logical mind understood my success as a husband. My logical mind understood my success in business, meaning that my life is, is generally good. But my heart was not where my mind was. My, my heart was still tied to, you know, my um, teenage years when I was obese or when I was a drug addict or when I was in prison. And I was trying to pull people down to that person who I actually feel that I am. Mm -hmm. And that was powerful for me um, because it, it was true. And I realized that I was doing it. And when we started talking about my history and my past and helping me kind of understand some of those tiebacks. Um, and again, like narcissism, I don't know if this is something anyone else, but I feel like through our conversation here, we'll probably ring on things that most people do at some point in some way. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted you to kind of talk on that and how those triggers and things happen in people and what levelizing is and okay. like why a heart and, a, and, and logic are not tied. Well, okay. That's, and thank you for sharing that because, um, yeah, it's a really, it's, I think it's really hard to be 
to come on a platform like this and be that open and that vulnerable with uh, what you've been through, because I know that I know that's incredibly challenging. And I also think being being a man makes it harder. I really do, because I think culturally uh, it really doesn't permit you guys to do that in a way that's non-judgmental, you know, so I think it takes a lot of strength for you to share that, too. Um, so one of the things that I'm just going to use you if I could share a little bit about what Please. we've gone through. Yeah, OK, sure. so uh, one great thing about Lee is that he's very open and he's very transparent and he really does take a look at things when you point it out, even if he doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll think about it. I will. <laughs> Which is great. OK, <laughs> um, so what I saw him doing was a technique called leveling. OK. And leveling is just really this. Uh, it is saying we, we, we like to be equal with people in power wise. Mm. Okay. We want to be a match. So what we'll do is if we see some, and we do this subconsciously, this is not something that we consciously do. Okay. This is going on under the radar a lot of times until we bring it to the surface. Mm. Okay. So what we'll do is let's, let's just say, let's use what Lee was doing. For example, he goes to the gym and he sees somebody that looks better than him. Well, that puts that person up here. So what Lee had to do was bump them down mm. to his level so he feels emotionally regulated. Mm. Okay? So you can bump somebody down or you can bump yourself up to where you see them. Okay? So you can also do this. Let's say he sees a guy that's super fit, da 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 da. He can do he can bump them down to where he sees himself or he can bump himself up to where he sees that person. Well, my muscles are bigger or I've got better calves than this guy. So now he's now he's still the equal, right? Mm. So that's how that's how leveling works. And we just do that as a way to regulate our emotions. You're using that as a cope. Mm. Okay. Something is happening with you that caused you internal distress, but you're not aware of it. So your brain comes and does this and say, you feel better now? Mm. Okay. And that's what your brain will do. And and people will do that with leveling. They will do that with drugs or alcohol. They will do that with Women, they, they do that with shopping, okay? They do, we are, we're constantly doing things to manage our emotions instead of actually managing our emotions and healing right. and working through them. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the big things that I think that, that we worked on. And it's really a self-esteem issue at its core. Mm. It's, it's interesting because we're just sitting here talking about this. And I'm thinking about work because I, I, I have people that I work with. And it's so weird. I don't, I don't do it at work. I really... I, I, the, the weird thing is, is I don't know what it is. It, I, it, well, I guess I do. It has to do with my physical body, my traumas from being obese when I was a young, you know, 12, 13 years old at work. I really, um, admire people, you know, I, I've done, and I'm, I'm around people who are doing really amazing things and I'm always just trying to like copy them. And I'm, I'm really, I admire them, but I also see people who don't do that at work and who kind of cross compare themselves. And I see that kind of levelizing at work as but, well. But here's the key. Okay. You're not threatened in that department. You're mm. only threatened physically. Okay. Mm. You don't need see, there's no need to emotionally regulate yourself at work. There's no threat for you at work. You, I said it was a self-esteem issue. Well, mm. you don't have low self-esteem at work. Mm. You have low self-esteem physically. Yeah. Okay. Which is why that defense mechanism comes into play. It's to regulate you there. Now, You've disclosed, okay, that you had some struggle with your weight. You have some emotional trauma around how you physically looked, mm -hmm. okay? That is deep-rooted. See, our brain has memory, but your heart has memory too. 
And you might know better, but that doesn't mean you actually know better. Your heart is hardwired in an emotion that is different from what you know. Okay. That is like, so that's why it's so important to be able to, it's not enough to just know better. You have to know how to actually like regulate your nervous Change system. Change it. Absolutely. Yeah. How to work with the chemicals that are going on in your body. And that's, that's what I help people do. That's what we've been working on together, right? Mm-hmm. Is to kind of marry those two things. But look, we, we all have areas in our life where we're vulnerable. How you look is going to be one of your vulnerabilities based on your past, peer, your past like experiences and trauma. Okay. But at work, you're cool. Mm. No need to level. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you right, like a way to identify if you're, if you are leveling, whether it's at work or with your weight and you're okay. And cause now I didn't, I didn't, I, we hadn't talked about that. And it's kind of a revelation for me seeing that that is very specific in that because that's where I lack self-esteem mm-hmm. and that's an internal issue that I have to work on. And it's, and so if you're experiencing that in work, um, that's an area that you need to work on. And I, I think this is, you know, again, not to say it over and over, but if, if these things are things that you feel that are going on in your life, like the, the biggest growth and change for me has been um, through therapy over the years, um, even with my last therapist, who I love and respect, um, I learned a lot in like understanding these things about ourselves, e- even this, because I, I would I would do these things and um, unconsciously and they hurt it's a hurt because it's I'm I'm there in a place where and let's just talk about I'll just talk about the gym for a minute. I love it. I'm in there. I love it. I it's my you know I I focus. Um, it's it's kind of my church. You know I get my my emotions out, my aggressions out. I enjoy the physicality of it. I love it. And there in that place that I love, I'm finding something to not love and like and it affects me so you know i think if you're going through that in the gym or at work or anywhere like identify those things and and kind of um, work through them Mm -hmm. some of the other stuff and we won't go too deep into it um, but relationships so i know that you do marriage therapy and you know one of the um, we just we we just had a session and i was talking about my marriage a little bit and it was interesting and i i think that um Marriage is probably the most, um, the most work, but the most rewarding Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, you know, I've like for Misty for me is like, um, I don't want to get emotional, but uh, she's just amazing. You know, when I think about what more would I want a business partner, a friend, a mother, um, she's so loyal. She has so much respect, um, She's just, you know, she's, she's almost, she's not almost, she's like loyal beyond. She's just such a, you know, but even in that, you know, I can go in and start picking stuff apart. Like, let me find something. And, you know, one of the things that you helped me become aware of um, just this week was, you know, I, I, I will find myself talking about the things that she's doing and you're like, okay, well, that's her work and she's not in the room. So we can't fix that but this is your work. And so I'd like to just talk a little bit about before we go into some of the other questions, you know, approaching relationships and therapy and like understanding, um, you know, here, here's what I've seen is if, especially in my industry, when guys are not having a good time at home, um, life is not good for, for us. Sales is just, a and teams like 
Because for me, my customers are my reps and they're very emotional. And that is a transfer of complete energy mm -hmm. for me. And I cannot allow them. I can't afford to have them see me in weakness because they're looking to me when times are hard to be strong for them. And, you know, that's a, a pretty common denominator amongst leaders in our industry. But I've seen um, relationships take down the tallest trees. And so, you know, I, I just, I, I guess I just wanted to open up a little bit of marriage talk. Like I found that it's, it's my job to fix my stuff. Um, so how do you help people work through those things? Well, you know, relationships are really important and they can, they can affect, like, it, I agree with you. I think that if things aren't going well in your interpersonal relationships, that it can affect other areas of your life, right? It can affect your mental health as well. I work with a lot of like very like, I work with a lot of professional men, right? Um, and relationship is always something that comes up. And I can tell you this, like, if if there is chaos in the home, it tends to affect their work negatively. Mm -hmm. um, as like, I, I want to, I'm not sure exactly like how you want me to answer this. Like, like, is there something specific about the relationship that you want to cover or like advice or... Well, yeah, I, I guess just the sense of like, um, you know, for me, it's, it's trying to change what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I guess the call out is for me has always been my, it's easy for me to focus on what Misty's doing and, and harder for me to focus on what I'm doing. And so on, on a, on approach, like if I guess just helping somebody identify, like if something's going on, how do you get help with that? Like, well, that's, I wish I look, that's a very deep question, actually, because yeah. there's so many layers to that. Okay. I'm going to give you a cookie cutter answer, but if, okay. if I was actually going to see somebody individually, I'd pick it this way more. Yeah. Okay. Focus on what you can control. Mm. Do that. Focus on what you can control. It's very easy to point the finger at the other person. And let's just say, let's say you have a toxic partner. Okay. You can make a decision about that over a period of time, how you want to do that, but you can make, you can, you can only control your response, right? You mm -hmm. can control, uh, you can't control necessarily somebody coming at you, but you can control your level of engagement. You can control what you choose to believe and what you choose to focus on. You can set healthy boundaries. You can focus on self-care. You can, you can pour that energy into yourself. You can surround yourself with people that are positive, people that uplift you. You can set realistic goals and expectations for yourself professionally, right? Connect to community outside of that relationship if, if, if it's struggling, right? And then, of course, there are things that you can do to work on their relationship as well, but they need to be focused on what you can do to create the success and, you know, not necessarily saying that I'll feel better once this person acts right. It's great answer, by the way. And I can't be alone. I find myself doing it a lot. I'm mm -hmm. like, if if Misty would just act. <laughs> That's right. kind of the world, though. Well, I'm like, if the world, the world, if traffic would just act if this way. Would, if I could just get all the green lights. Yeah, you know. It's so true. But I tell people this all the time. Like, you cannot, like, think about it. You have to have the perfect day in order for you to be in a good mood. Is that realistic? No. So that means traffic can't be bad. That means all your kids got to act right. That means work has to go perfectly. All these things in your environment that we cannot control have to go perfectly, smoothly, no errors, predictable, complete control in order for us to be regulated. Absolutely not. I always tell people you have to overcome your environment. 
I don't let my environment tell me how I'm going to feel. Now, sometimes it gets to me, okay, because yeah. I'm human. But for the most part, like, I might have emotional reaction, but I don't linger in it. Mm. I'm out of it. Mm. I regulate myself and I get out of it, okay? I might give myself a period where I wallow in it for a minute, but then I'm like, all right, I got shit to do, mm. you know? I don't have time for this. So, you know, these like, you have to make sure that you don't let your environment tell you how you're going to feel and how you're going to show up for yourself and how you're going to show up for your relationships. Like we have a lot of power as people and we don't, we don't exercise it a lot of times. We give it away. Well, I think, you know, so listen, this is the therapy part for me because it's, it's tools in the tool belt, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, I find myself in situations where I'm, and I see other people do it too is in, in leadership. You know, I, I deal with people that are trying to focus at a high level. So I know that I'm not alone in a lot of this, but I, I see myself ill-equipped with the tool and, and making the same mistake over and over and over and over and over. And then having a session with you or having a conversation with where I'm enlightened to my actions and what I'm doing and how I'm staying in that. And then what I've learned is that identifying the issue and then fixing it are two very, very different things. Like one of the things that you told me is like, yeah, you, you get it. Like you're aware of it, but being aware of something and changing something are two completely different mm -hmm. things. So like having the tools in your tool belt, it's a learned behavior because what I see is people just get into this and it's the same. It's the same. Me, I'll speak just for me. I will make the same mistake a hundred times in the, in the same type of environment or situation um, in at work or in, in my marriage or in friendships where it's like the way that I'm reacting or interacting in that and how I'm seeing and feeling, I'm doing the same things over and over and over and not always liking it. And a lot of times regretting it because I will say or do or act negatively. And especially like the cortisol levels and the hormones inside my body, I can go into a, you know, day or two day dark cloud situation and it's because what I've learned is I don't have the tools in my tool belt to go in and, and manage that part of my emotion or my psyche or how I'm reacting or how I'm interacting in those moments. So it's, it's not only that too, like a lot of people do know, and a lot of people do have the tools. Like I come to, I have people all the time that come to me and they're like, well, I need help. Let's just say I need help with my anger, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And they're like, I just want to learn how to cope. And part of this is, is an assessment thing that I'm trying to gauge with them by asking a question like that. And I was like, well, you know how to cope. They go, give me some coping skills. And they'll list some coping skills. And I go, we'll do that. Mm. Okay. It's people aren't actually applying what they know. That's the difference. Okay. The fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people are addicted to their negative emotions. I am. Okay. A lot of people are married to their pain mm. and they don't want to give it up. Mm. And if you want to have it, by all means, you can have it. But if you want to drop it, come see me, mm. you know, <laughs> mic drop. Um, I, <laughs> I suffer from that. I do. I do. It's, it, it's, I've had, um, we well, are the second therapist to, well, you've talked to me about like, you're addicted to that. And I am mm -hmm. like, I, I'll notice Man, is it true? Yeah. It's like, I, I understand the coping skills, but I, I do sometimes. And if I'm just a hundred percent honest, 
it is an addiction. It's like a, a an addiction to the hormone, the anger, the thing, yeah. the thought process. It's, it's like, a bio. Look, it's not all on you. Okay, there is a biochemical release that happens when you're angry, mm-hmm. when you're happy. Uh, you get dopamine hits when you're angry. You still get this rush of adrenaline. Like mm-hmm. these things are addictive, and if you rehearse that mm-hmm. mentally, you're also rehearsing it emotionally mm-hmm. as well. And then let's just say. Let's just say, you know, you you wake up one day and then you don't have that. Your body is going to crave for that hit. Now, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that it's healthy, but heroin ain't healthy. Yeah. Can you still crave it though? Yeah, I go, I I literally go through that and it's, I'm aware, I'm becoming more and more aware of it. I went through a period where I would click, I would start and I, it has, it's, it's a lot when I'm driving or when I'm by myself, I'll start, I'll start in on something. Um, and once I start in on it, it's just that negative mm-hmm. feeling. And like, I, I am aware now that I am addicted to it. And it, like any addiction, um, becoming aware of it and then actively working to transform it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like quitting cigarettes because it's, it's, it's me inside my head. It's not a physical addiction of like cigarettes or gambling or something or heroin. It's like, it's me inside my head addicted to anger and frustration. Um, that was dope. So, um, I have some questions that I've, um, asked some of the, um, leaders on different teams and some of the stuff that I've written down. Um, so one of the things that I went through was external validation. Um, I still, I spent a lot of money on it. I spent a lot and, you know, I guess it goes into, we, I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome also, because I felt like my external validation had a lot to do with imposter syndrome. Um, you know, I come from, I was, um, you know, very, my, my childhood wasn't great. There were times when we were homeless, we were poor, we were on drugs. Um, you know, and then I was in prison and then, um, you know, I worked at a limo company for nine years and did pretty good. And then when I got into door to door, I started doing really good. And, you know, when I broke the $200,000 mark and then, you know, 300 and then up and up, and the more I made, the more I, I felt like an imposter and the more I wanted to show people, um, like God, I have, and this is just the truth. I have Gucci and all this shit in my closet that I don't even wear anymore because it's now it's almost to the point where I'm not embarrassed by it and I'll wear it when I go out and stuff. But I, I mean, I would wear it, um, you know, dump like to correlation like but it was very important for me to know for you to know and you who's you it's somebody walking by me on the street that mm-hmm. i'll never even see again mm-hmm. like when i would go to a restaurant i would want you to you need to know that i make you know good money and i'm going to show you and i went through years of that and i've kind of moved past it but a lot of it had to do with I felt like an imposter. I felt like an imposter in life. I felt like um, I truly, if I'm honest, I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I deserved it. Um, So I just wanted to talk about external validation versus internal validation and maybe a little bit of imposter syndrome and how you see those things manifest and how to identify and maybe how to work through some of them a little bit. Well, I think imposter syndrome is, um, it's a poppy term for low self-esteem. Okay. 
Okay. That's really what it is. In fact, like all these, all these disorders and stuff like that, that I hear being played around, there's like core critical root issues to each one of them. And so I just kind of sift through all the fluff and I'm like, that's the real issue. Right? And that sounds way worse. Low self-esteem. But we got to call it's it true. Like what it is. No, okay? I like it better. Yeah. Call it what it is. Okay. Like because it. like, look, let's, let's take that example. Okay. You're doing the same thing instead of, instead of leveling. Okay. You're regulating your self-concept with accolades or clothes or this or that because what happens is is you're perceiving a threat Mm. okay you're not aware of what the threat is so you're using these other ways to cope now we can use the term imposter syndrome and really what that is you did a great job describing that it's just faking it feeling undeserving of of what you have okay looking uh looking for these other things to affirm your self-worth right well let's just work on that Mm. instead of this imposter syndrome thing because really the the imposter syndrome is just a term for low self-esteem that's really what it is like that's the root of it right that's the meat of it i don't feel deserving of this i feel less than i don't feel like i'm good enough Mm. i feel like i'm faking it i don't feel worthy of the good things happening to me right let's work on that trauma that 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 wound that needs healing and that imposter syndrome goes away now i can i can talk now i don't let me just say this there is nothing wrong with validation i don't have a problem with it i think it's okay like you want to get likes on instagram go ahead i don't give a fuck okay yeah. <laughs> let's go, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> post your hot picture it doesn't fucking matter i like that kind of stuff i don't i don't care about but i draw a distinction when you're dependent on it when you've got to get those likes when you don't reach a certain number when you're like oh my god did a lot when it starts to put you into a panic, now yeah. you're dependent and that's a problem. Totally. Okay. So that's that's it. And like, look, there's nothing wrong with validation, but you don't want to be dependent on it. So if you need it in order for you to feel better, well, that's just a cope. Mm. Okay. Validation, there's nothing wrong with getting words of affirmation. That's a love language, right? That's beautiful. I agree, yeah. Okay. So we have to create some balance and some structure because look, a lot of people in in psychology and in the world will be like, this is bad, this is good. And it's like it doesn't really work that way. Mm. There's nothing wrong with validation. It's the dependency that's that's problematic. Okay. And so that's really kind of what you want to treat. But yeah, like go ahead and get praise from other people that's beautiful right but don't get to a place where it's like you have to have it in order to feel good because i'll tell you what that will only la- like when you're dependent on it we, we're, we're going to be looking for quick fixes right with validation it's going to be like oh i need somebody to say that like tell me i look pretty today okay like tell me i look pretty today like oh well my boyfriend didn't say anything about the dress that i'm wearing he doesn't love me he's not attracted to me anymore da, 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 da. and then we need a hit need a hit need a hit need a hit tell me tell me tell me tell me tell me mm. and as soon as he tells you that you look good as soon as you tell me that you're pretty da, 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 you calm down okay and then that only lasts as long as your next negative thought and then mm. you need it again you need that hit again okay so it's like that's where it becomes really problematic in relationships that that you know it's it's not good for your mental health and it's not good for your relationship either i love that i've never heard it it instantly it you instantly just gave me a paradigm shift because i think you know we hear this i was just at, at dinner the other night and um one of my you know almost everyone that i work with are, are good friends of mine and one of my good friends said, have you, he asked me, if, have you ever had imposter syndrome? And I said, yes, I've suffered from it. I've, I've never, 
when you return it to what it actually is, low self-esteem. Yeah. So if we rephrase that question, he would have asked, have you ever had low self-esteem issues? Look, I do that all the time. It's with powerful. People. I know. And that's why I do it. Like reframing is so important because it, it takes the fluff out of it. Mm. Okay. Like I did that with you on day one. I said, I don't, you know, with the self hate thing, I had to get rid of all the fluff and say, here it is. Yeah. Here's what's really going on. Right. Like, if we don't, if we don't unmask the truth, then what are we actually treating? Yeah. Well, because my next question instantly, when I say I have low self-esteem, it's from what and how do I fix it? When I say I have imposter syndrome, I, in my, you literally just changed my paradigm because imposter syndrome, I always say, I just feel like I don't fit in because I haven't earned it yet. But mm-hmm. really what I'm saying is I don't fit in because I feel like I, I'm, I don't have good self-worth and I'm, and I don't feel good internally. Yep. And why? Why don't I feel like I deserve this? Why don't I feel like I, de- I belong in this room? Why don't I feel like I belong with these people? Like, yeah. it's an instant paradigm shift. And then, and again, I would say if this any of this rings true, and you say why, seek help for the why and how and the how. Like mm-hmm. why? That's you know, and, and for me, a lot of it's gone back to, you know, my childhood and being poor and being on drugs and being in prison. Like there's a lot of things in there where when I look back um, from this paradigm to that, I can say I was just trying to to almost prove to myself that I was worthy. And it was all because I had extremely low self-esteem. Yeah. yeah. And like when you, that's a wonderful way to put it, right? When you and this is what I see a, a, a lot of people do, especially men that are in positions of power or in leadership roles, right? It's never enough. That's why they're such high achievers. Mm. Okay. They're always looking for that next thing. But once they get to the top, they're never really satisfied. Mm. It's because nothing fills up that internal void. It's their work to do. You can't have enough trophies. You can't have enough money in the bank. You can't have enough hot women on your, on your arm. Mm. It ain't going to fill up your cup. That was that was pretty dope for me right there. I just got, <laughs> I just got a paradigm shift. Um, so you didn't think you were getting a therapy session today? <laughs> no, it's awesome. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I just yeah, just paradigm shift, and that's for me. That's what therapy is. Yeah. It's like it's helping. You know, listen, we're human, right? We suffer mm-hmm. from the human condition. Yeah, like we're we're we all think we're we're so special. And we, we all, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in Las Vegas or in, you know, in some tribe in a jungle, you still feel love. You still feel hate. Mm-hmm. Things are still fair. Things are still unfair. There's still frustration. There's still doubt. Like this is the human condition. So I love it. Um, okay. So we talked about external validation, um, vulnerable vulnerability and authenticity. Um, why is it so hard? And how do we do it more? So I found that vulnerability and authenticity for me, you know, I, um, Seth asked my, um, one of my leaders asked me to do a presentation on authenticity. And when I asked myself, well, what is authenticity? My internal answer was vulnerability. Like for my most authentic self is very vulnerable. I'm caring, I'm loving, I'm compassionate. Um, I'm emotional. Um, and for me, What's crazy is the the greatest mirror to that is my wife, Misty, mm-hmm. where I've been in a relationship with her for seven years and it can still be difficult for me to open my mouth and be vulnerable because my first thought is she's going to judge me. She's going to think. And this is and the reason I'm using her for an example 
is not because we don't have a good relationship. We do, but she's the closest person in my life and she's still hard to be truly vulnerable with. Um, so I, I want to talk about vulnerability and the power of it and what it looks like from your paradigm, because to me, it's one of the most powerful things and one of the most hard things for me to do. Well, <clears throat> there's a couple different directions I could take this, but I'm just going to say what's coming to mind. Vulnerability is incredibly powerful. You shouldn't do it all the time. Mm. Probably didn't think I was going to say that. No. <laughs> okay. Look, like I, I have a very different perspective than you when it comes to things like this. Yeah. I don't think you need to be vulnerable around everybody. I do think you need to be vulnerable around certain people though. Okay. Mm. I think you need to be vulnerable with love. You don't need to be vulnerable to a person, you know, uh, that is taking advantage of you. Mm. You don't need to be like, you have to kind of know who your audience is in order to present these traits. Because I, I talk about one of the things that I do with narcissism is they're dealing with empathic people a lot of times. And those empathic people tend to be incredibly open and, and vulnerable. That's not a negative thing, but those traits are exploited. So vulnerability is a trait that can be exploited. Okay. Mm. It's not wrong to be vulnerable, but you do need to manage who gets that and who doesn't. Okay. You don't just need to pour yourself out to everybody because not everybody is a trustworthy source. Mm. Okay. Now with somebody like your wife, like Misty, very important for you to be vulnerable. Mm. Okay. You having a difficult time opening up sometimes has nothing to do with her or the support that she gives you or how she is as a, as, as a person. Well, for, well, let's just say for the most part, cause I don't know the dynamic between the two of you guys. I agree okay. With that. No, I agree. But you know, the way that you were speaking about it, I was like, okay, well, this is coming from a place of pain for you, mm. which is why that's hard for you to open up. You're still you're still perceiving a threat. And that makes a lot of sense because in close personal relationships with the ones that we love the most, they're the ones that can hurt us the most. Mm. So if we're vulnerable, man, that, that would, you know, if something happened, she could rip your heart out. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for you to be vulnerable there yeah. because you have more to lose, right? We tend to think that, oh, we'll be safer around like our parents or people that we can trust because just of their, the authority that they have in our lives. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones that we get the most wounded by though. Mm. And so it typically is harder to be vulnerable around our intimate partners, around parents, siblings. They know the most about us, you know? And just another paradigm shift. It's crazy because I can get up on in front of correlation or training or a group of people and be very vulnerable. And with Misty, it can be difficult be or um, it can be difficult because of the fear of, of those exact things. Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And I think that's, it does come from pain. I mean, when you're saying it, it comes from pain, self-doubt, worry, insecurities, um, rejection. rejection. What is she going to say? What is mm -hmm. she, and it's, you know, seven years later with a, an amazingly See, loyal woman, like, yeah, but, but it's still time, there. But it's crazy. Time doesn't have anything to do with it. Mm. Okay. It's what you do with the time. Okay. Mm. You can heal from something pretty quickly or it can, like, I know people that are mad about something that happened to them 10 years ago mm. and they're still just as mad about it. Because they had to maintain that emotional addiction to anger or whatever else it is, right? And they reinforced that for the last 10 years. They didn't use that time to heal from it. They didn't use that time to let go of that. They didn't use that time to forgive. They used it to reinforce their addiction to anger. Now, did they do that consciously? Most people don't. Yeah. Okay? But that's what happens. When you just said that, I thought that's exactly what I've done. It's just because I'm the same 
It's what it, you, you in have a lot of the same at the yeah. time when they say i hate it when when i hear this uh, it's like one of my pet peeves time heals all wounds the fuck it does <laughs> no it fucking doesn't no it doesn't can I cuss on here yeah, yeah you know. can say whatever the fuck you want <laughs> they're like what kind of therapist is she <laughs> she's the real kind i love it well, no, because I still have pain and, and things from my childhood. Exactly. Time it, doesn't heal all wounds. It doesn't, right? Like, there is, that's why there's PTSD. Yeah. There's a flash, there's a trigger and a flashback, and it's like you're right there. It's because time doesn't matter. Mm. It's what you do with the time. You have to heal the wound, right? Yeah. That's why so much of my practice is focused on that. Mm. I can pretty much boil it down. Like, usually the first time I meet somebody, I'm like, I can get to the root. Something. <laughs> <laughs> For 10 minutes i was like you're stupid and then i was like that's what i thought i thought she's stupid when am i going to see her again and then the end of the call i was like maybe she's right and i was like oh shit she's right damn it um all right so i love that so um trauma let's talk about trauma for a little bit mm-hmm. does everybody have it like i think so yeah to some degree yeah. right and how so how does like what i've noticed is that um and here's what i'm here's what i i don't like i don't like comparing trauma because you know, my, my, tr- I, I had a really, really bad childhood. Um, but that's relative to me. Right. And so I'm, I can't judge somebody else's trauma and how it affected them. I mean, I know people who've parents got divorced and it just, you know, wrecked them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that's, I can't, I have PTSD. Um, you know, I still have, um, most weeks of the night, I still have nightmares about prison and it's, it's what it is, is all of them. Every single nightmare is that, um, I'm somehow incarcerated and it's not the incarceration portion of it. It's that I can't see my daughter or my wife or my family. And there's this kind of in, this feeling that I have that's very unique to when you get placed in that position and you know, you're not coming back for a long time. So I have that. That's one of my traumas. And then I have a lot of trauma from being, you know, in, um, in, a, in an addicted household with an alcoholic mother. And, and, and I don't want anybody to get it twisted. I absolutely love my mom. Um, she was wonky, right? She, she was an alcoholic and she suffered from that. Um, and she just never got treatment or understood it. And I was just subject to that. But she loved me um, in, in the best way that she could. And when I look back, I don't blame her for these things. Um, could she have gotten recovery? She could have, but she didn't. And you know, that's, it's past, but there's still a lot of trauma in there. And so, you know, one of the things that I worked through and I realized with my last therapist was I, I was having these triggers and he's like, when was the first time you thought that? And so what was it? It was that if, so what I want to do is when we get in an argument or something's happened, I shut down from anger. Like I don't shut down emotionally. I get really mad. And then that shuts me down and I know that I'm like in red zone and I, and I want to disengage from you and I want to leave. And then if you come to me, then we're going to get into it. Like Mm -hmm. I'm either going to assault you verbally. Um, if you're a man, you know, in my past, I've gotten physical in those situations and it's just really negative. And so my shutdown is, Hey, you, we, I don't like something shut down, anger, remove myself. You come bite like a snake. Mm -hmm. And I went back in that. And the question was, when's the first time you thought that? And I said, Oh, one time when I was in car before that, Oh, one time when I was in 20 and then one time. And it was like all the way back to this one time when I was like nine and my mom was drunk and she was ripping stuff out of the fridge and she was six foot big woman. I'm just this little dude. And she's just on one, just like 
terrifying alcoholic rage. And I just was like, I just remember I didn't have anywhere to go. And I was in the kitchen in the corner and she was ripping everything out of the refrigerator. And I just felt like fear and anger and scared and all of these things. And when I look back, I feel like that's where some of that started. Mm-hmm. And so like when you say time doesn't heal all wounds, it for sure doesn't. And so those are some of my traumas. And that's like, you know, anger, run away from mom, get away. If you come to me, attack like a snake. So, I, and I just wanted to share some of my trauma and how that's affected me. And so a lot of that has been for me, like, how do I calm down? How do I have, how do I like release those emotions and have a calm conversation and process emotions and stay in because other people aren't feeling what I'm feeling like that's me and so that's well, you know this is this would be more something that we'd have to do one on one I don't want to because the, we would have to be more personal than I would feel yeah. comfortable doing here yeah. in this kind of setting okay because that's trauma work and that's not that's this setting isn't appropriate for that. No. And so but, but talk about the just trauma and like, I just wanted to describe some of mine. It's probably different from most people. Well, but. I'm glad, I'm glad that you shared that. You know, I think again, that's a very vulnerable thing to open up and, and share. As you were talking, I always get these kind of like pings. Right. And I'm like, that's a loss of power. Mm. Okay. It's a loss of power. That's what kept coming to mind. Loss of power, loss of power, loss of power. It mirrors the jail, right? Mm. Prison, loss of power, loss of control. Um, and, and, and so that, that to me is, is, uh, the wound is that right there. Mm. Okay. As soon as you said that, I identified with it. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, and especially being uh, those two situations, they mirror each other. Okay. The root cause Mm -hmm. now what's happened, but your response is the same. Okay. The response is still a threat. You're perceiving a threat when there isn't one. Now, this is something that I would need to go that I would go into somebody more in in detail with. But for here, I'm just going to keep it very general. Yeah. There actually isn't a threat there. There was a threat at some real time, but right now you're just sitting in the room talking to me. Yeah. Right. No threat. Okay. Um, but yet your body starts releasing those chemicals. Your body starts to become hypervigilant. You, you know your body starts to become tense and you're mm-hmm. like ready to go again right yeah. starts gearing up and all you did was talk about it right that's trauma mm-hmm. okay those are things that we want to go into and we want to do some cognitive restructuring and we have to do some emotional rewiring as well that is not uh that is something that you need to do with a licensed professional okay yeah. it's not something that um i'm going to give too much feedback on here because it's not responsible for me to do that yeah I vibe with that. Um, I just wanted to shout out, like, I, I feel that a lot of people have it and yeah. that they act within it on their, in their daily lives. And I'm not obviously qualified to, but I can see it mm-hmm. when somebody's, I can see it when I'm doing it. And I can also see it when other people are doing it. And it's just a call out. Like if you're going through that, um, seek help. Mm-hmm. So, um, what time was our hard stop? 245? 1245. 1245. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Three hours. Um, so, um, transactional relationships, I do want to talk about that. And so I notice, I do have, um, I go back and forth with this because, you know, um, I have love for most of the people that I work with, but it's still a transactional relationship in the sense that there's still money. It's weird. I don't really have, um, trying to think if I have friends that aren't in the door to door industry, I don't have very many. And so there's still transactional relationships. And I've, I've tried to identify like, 
let's just, what is a transactional relationship? And is it healthy? Yeah. Is it unhealthy? It depends. Okay. Yeah, it depends. Yeah. I actually just did this on mine. Uh, okay. I talked about this. Yeah. What is your podcast? It's not out yet, uh, but my podcast. We can plug it. Yeah, we can pl- <laughs> plug it. So my podcast is called Pink Pill with Jamie cool. Lynn. Awesome. Um, and that'll be, that'll start um, airing pretty soon. Cool. We'll put, we'll put a link in bio to cool. that too. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk about transactional relationships. Uh, it's a trade. Mm. Okay. Um, most relationships are actually conditional. Okay. And so it's explain a, that what's okay. a conditional. I'll go, I'll go over the I'll go a marriage over the, is a marriage conditional. I'll go over what they are and okay. then you can tell me what kind you have. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> okay. So a transactional relationship is an exchange. Okay. It's, um, I see a lot of male dating advice talking about transactional relationships and it's toxic as fuck. Mm. You'll never find love if you do that. Okay. Where it's like, well, uh, let's say, you know, the husband brings home the money and the wife needs to fuck him whenever he wants. That's a transactional relationship. It's saying, uh, you give me this, I give you that. It's a trade. So just focus on the trade. Mm. Now, most relationships are conditional, meaning that there need to be certain conditions in order to maintain or attract the love, uh, ma- maintain or keep the love, okay? Um, that means the conditions could be, well, don't cheat on me. That, that could be a condition. That means it's realistic. That could be, uh, don't abuse me. Okay. Yeah. That could mean, um, I, I want, you know, physical affection and love. And, and these are conditions of a relationship, right? Words uh, of affirmation. Yes. Like these are love language. These are conditions that maintain the relationship. So it's a trust. I want, when, tra- when you think of transactional relationships, I want you to think trade. I'm trading something. We're exchanging something. Got it. And then when you think of conditional, I want you to think these conditions need to meet be maintained um in order to keep the relationship okay the other one is just trade this or else you don't get me Mm. okay the other one is i i i am here i want to be part of this okay Mm. uh but these need to be made like don't abuse me and i'll stay kind of the conditions right healthy like things like that the foundation's very different okay there's way more substance with uh uh these kinds of relationships and there are you know transactional relationships so now i do see some relationships that are just completely transactional like let's look at uh let's let's look at prostitution okay that's a transactional relationship okay i see men uh like fresh and fit giving dating advice to men that's a transactional relationship it's not healthy Mm. okay and then we look at most marriages and these tend to be conditional relationships right now there's nothing wrong with that okay but the conditions might not work for everybody and if that's the case then you either Play the game or you don't. I love that. Another paradigm shift. So it, I had never, I've never heard the term um, conditional relationship. And so I can tell you that all of my relationships are conditional. I don't have So any. as soon as, yeah. So as soon as you had given me that example, I was like, this is not a transactional relationship. They're conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. they are. Even with, yeah, the people that I work with above and below me, there are conditions that I have with them um, because I do love them. And I've questioned that. And so that, that really just helped me. I don't know if it'll ring true for anybody else. I question like, because we're working together, is this just a transactional relationship? Even though I do have love for these people, because we're, you know, in our industry, we're, we're, it's sweat, blood and tears. Like we're, you know, it's not always easy. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of like anxiety. If one like, of those people called you and asked for your help, would you be there? hundred percent. Not transactional. Okay. Yeah. A transactional relationship, somebody would call, they would charge you for the call. Mm, got okay? it. 
transaction. Got it. That makes, that helps me a lot. So that's, that's pretty cool just to, to hear that. Um, so I'm not a narcissist and I'm not. <laughs> I've solved all your problems I, today. <laughs> well, at least I know I'm not a narcissist and I don't have transactional relationships because I've had people think that they're, and I'm like, no, it's, that's a condition. It's, yeah. it is. It's like, if you, yeah. if you treat me this way and do these things that I love and respect and appreciate, then we can have a good relationship. And, and if you act in a counterway to that, then I can't be part of it. I can't be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I vibe with that. Okay, cool. Um, what is the biggest thing cause mental? So this is one of the things that one of my guys asked and we won't do too many more cause, um, I know that you have a busy day. What is the biggest thing that causes mental fatigue or depression in high level people that you see? Is there any like one thing? So I can't, I'd like, this is a big question yeah. and I have to like, th- look, mental health is a really serious thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to advise that if you're suffering from any kind of mental illness, depression, anxiety, whatever, that you actually seek professional help. I need to say that. Okay. Mm. One of the things that came to mind as I was listening to that is people not setting healthy boundaries. Mm. That's, that's a big one right there that I think it's really overlooked because if you're in the wrong relationships, that's going to drain you dry. You're not going to have energy for yourself. You're not going to have energy for other people. And most people aren't careful about who they engage with. Mm -hmm. A a lot of us meet toxic people all day long and they keep getting our energy. Well, that, that'll absolutely affect your mental health. So that's, that's probably a big one that I think a lot of people miss. So that's interesting because, um, the person who texted me that, I, I, I understand like that just kind of gave me some awareness of like what's going on in their life. There is, there is some of that stuff. So yeah, boundaries, make sure that you have the right people. And I, I think it's not just making sure that you have the right people, but like, because sometimes, um, and you know, it's like, I mean, I'll just use myself cause I don't want to talk about them. Sometimes, you know, my, my boundaries with Misty get, um, crossed because we're so intermingled with work and everything. And I can get fatigue and depression from that because we, we, you know, as much as we love each other, we can overburden ourselves with the stresses of finances and work. And there's so much, there are so many transactions going on with finances and money and corporate and our teams. And it's like, yeah, when, when we don't have our, and because we're, you know, listen for me and her, we wake up together, we sleep together, we wake up together, we go to work together. We're in the same office together. We're in the same meetings together. We do everything together. So sometimes those boundaries for us and they can be depressing for me personally, because I will take on her weight, you know, and I'll, and then those are the times when I'm thinking like, if you would just be more positive, I would be happy. So mm-hmm. I can, I can really see how that, um, what you just said affects it. Um, all right. So a couple more. We talked about imposter syndrome. How do, how do you separate your, okay, this is a good one. How do you separate your sense of self-worth from work? And so what I see, and I'll back this up a little bit is we have a lot of um, performers, high performers and low performers and low performers will think they're worthless because they're not performing in comparison. You know, we have leaderboards. Door to door is a lot like a sport, right? And so if you're on the top, you're a badass. And if you're on the bottom, you suck, right? That's what your mind is telling. And I, I've had conversations with people who are high performers and they get into those kind of lulls. And I'm like, you have to stop. My advice to them is like, I always want to let them know that I still love them. Like, Hey, I don't value you on how many deals you're putting in, but they, 
see, and I've done, I still do. I, okay. Um, them, me, I do it right. I'll just corporate was just down here, the C level team and they're just loving on me. I won this competition and they took me to massage and all this stuff. And the whole time I'm thinking they probably don't think I'm doing enough. Right. So it's even me, right. It's this, and I, what is it? It's probably my self-worth after talking to you. So how do you, I mean, this it's is all the same stuff. It's the same stuff. But so how, how do you, how do you separate yourself from your identity at work as being a high performing individual or a high net worth, like meaning you produce revenue from like who you are as a human being and still interact with that when you're not performing at your top? I think men struggle with this more than women. Mm. Okay. Because men to identify themselves by what they do. And women t- tend to identify themselves by their role in the home. Mm. Well, I'm a mother. I'm a this. I'm a wife. I'm a sister. Right. And a guy's like, well, I work at this. Mm. Right. So part of it is just kind of how we see the, you see our lens. But you said something. You're like, I have low conformers that in, you know, in comparison to high performers. And I was like, comparison. Mm. Comparison is a big thing. Right. When we're comparing ourselves to other people, uh, we're ten, we're usually having a negative self script. Okay. Mm. That I think is kind of adding to this, this struggle and, and how we perform and it's it, in a struggle with our identity. Like, look, the root of this is still like, a, 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 it's still a usually low self-worth and you need to perform really, really well in order to feel good about yourselves. But even, even people that perform really, really well still need more, 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 more. Okay. Again, it's a root need that needs, that needs healing. That's the real gist of it. Okay. But if you want some practical tools, stop comparing yourself to other people. You need to have something outside of what you do. Okay. So build up your interpersonal relationships, build up your sense of self-worth out. Like what do you do? Well, Okay. Outside of performing, like, are you a good father? Okay. Are there things that you like? Like, are you artistic? Do you do well at poetry? Like, and start asking, like, you can even ask people around you, like, Hey, what do I do? Well, if you're not, if you're not sure, and you can start building up your self-concept this way. But again, there's a dependency on what you bring to the table on what you do in order to regulate your low self-esteem. It's a self-worth issue again. And you know, the, the thing is like, I I've noticed that the more that I've worked on these things personally, the better I've actually performed because listen, business isn't always going to be just fucking rocking. Sometimes it's going to suck. And you know, I've been able to regulate myself more and more, the more education I've got about on my internal mechanisms and what's happening just today's and just to, kind of explain this. I've had a lot of these, you know, we've been going for um, a little bit, not a, a long, six weeks or so, but I've been coming every week. And, you know, the years that I've been going to therapy, I'm also Alcoholics Anonymous. So the different things that I've done over my life to try and get a hold on these things and operate at a higher level mentally and spiritually um, has added to my success and where I am, not just on the team leaderboard, but like what I would consider like my life leaderboard. Like how am I comparing myself as a father? Like who do I want to be? What are my goals? What are my aspirations? Am Mm -hmm. I living up to the man that I want to be for my daughter and my wife and for my teams? And like understanding these things, like just today, just understand like it's, it's not imposter syndrome. It's a self-worth issue. It's not comparing myself to other people on the team. It's not identifying myself at work. It's a self-worth issue Mm -hmm. and the self-worth issue. And so the next question is, wow, I have a self-worth issue. What is it? Where does it come from? How do I fix it? Mm -hmm. Like powerful. It's crazy how much of this has similar root causes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll do two more and then we'll, we'll, 
um, we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, how does someone embark on a new challenge and how to build confidence? Gosh, this goes almost right back and to so, self-worth. See, this is what I was saying. This is what I was saying earlier. Okay. A lot of things are just symptom of one issue yeah. or two issues. Almost okay? all these. Exactly. Yeah. And so I see that a lot. Um, and and just by the way, these are questions from like four or five different people. Yeah. All suffering from apparently. Well, so. look, most, most people, we're not all uncommon, right? Yeah. We all have the human experience. And so um, this, like when I do therapy and treatment, mm. I don't have all these huge issues that I treat. I have different um, situations that I hear. Yeah. I have different histories that I hear. Yeah. But the causes, the root issues, pretty much the same. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just it's now that I'm reading them, I'm like, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, I think I just read the last couple questions, and they all seem to be, um, in in my opinion, self worth. It's crazy mm-hmm. how many different people wrote these, mm-hmm. and how many of the core of them are self worth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, listen, how do you, you do telehealth? Mm-hmm. I love telehealth now. I do. <laughs> I, I love so it. It's so convenient, it's right? It's so convenient. Yeah. I was like, so in the beginning, you know, because I'd gone to, oh my God, I'll just tell you the last, so it took me two years to do AMDR and I'm sitting on this couch and I got these things in my hand and they're vibrating and there's a blindfold on and there's stuff in my ear and, you know, I'm getting asked these questions and I'm just like bawling like bawling, crying, like trauma. And um, before that, I had done talk therapy, in a, but very different from what you and I are doing. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a lead up to get me into EMDR because that's the type of therapy. And not, I'm not knocking it. I'm, you know, there's people that love EMDR. It was just not for me. Mm-hmm. So also I was like telehealth, like I don't know about this. And it's like, is it, is, am I going to have that human? And, and it, it, I, I've loved it. And so I just want to talk about my experience on. So the, the in person and the telehealth have had very little difference for me in, in, in the, in the, in, in the essence of change or identifying or helping me figure stuff out. So I guess you're doing telehealth for, I want to talk about the differences in like EMDR and your type of therapy because they're very different. And then also, um, I, I would imagine that you do telehealth so you can reach more people. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't do EMDR. EMDR uh, requires a special kind of training, but it is specific for trauma. And so it just, it, you know, it's a way to kind of connect different parts of your brain. Mm-hmm. And some people love it and some people don't. Um, you know, tapping is another way to treat trauma and EMDR kind of mirrors that in some senses. But I'm not trained or an expert on it, so I don't want to speak too much about something that I'm not trained in. I vibe with that. Um, the type of therapy that I do is I do, I, I just do what works, man. Like I'm very direct. I have a no bullshit approach. Um, and I just kind of, I think I just, I think one of the things that I'm really good at is sifting through the bullshit and just kind of pulling out what's real. Yeah. The root. Yeah. And then I kind of show that to people and I'm like, what do you want to do about this? Right. Cause it's not up to me to manage. Yeah. Okay. And then if you're, if you're for it, I'm down with it, you know, yeah. we'll give you the tools and the support that you need to make the change, but you'll be the one making the change and I can support you through that process, but I can't do the work for you. Yeah. You know? And so I do a lot of cognitive reframing, a lot of cognitive restructuring, but I also deal with 
a lot of trauma. I have many certifications in trauma specifically. Um, and so I'm really good at helping people regulate their nervous system and matching the emotion to what your brain is actually telling mm. it, which I think is a component that gets missed. I think one of the big things that I've seen in therapy, I've done therapy myself actually for many years. And um, when I remember when I did do therapy, I remember feeling frustrated by the process. Mm. I loved my therapist. She was amazing. And, but I remember I had all this awareness and I was like, now what? Mm. What do I do with all this shit now? Now, yeah. I, now I'm just aware of why I'm mad. <laughs> now I just know. Yeah. Now I'm just aware of why this happened. Which can you piss know? you off exactly. even more. <laughs> yeah. And then I really kind of was very frustrated by the process and I wasn't getting, I wasn't moving past it. Mm. I was just kind of, st- I was just fucking aware. That's where I was. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, this is not enough for me. Yeah. You know? And so I, after that, I, stopped going and I was like this is no longer helpful for me because I think I think there are a lot of very well intended very great therapists but what I have found is you get all the supportive reflection and no feedback yes you know and I'm Mm -hmm. like I don't need somebody to tell me that sucks yeah I know it sucks yeah I don't need to hear that tell me how I can feel better better so I can speak from a patient perspective um and I I understand why if you you don't have the um you don't do MDR so you don't want to speak on it for me, it was like a lot of like, you have trauma. Let's go back there. And I'm like, okay, we're there. This <laughs> fucking sucks. Yeah. I hate being here. And then like, okay, bye. And I'm like, yeah, just the stuff that we've done over the last six weeks has God, just the, the leveling. I'm um, just understanding that my logical mind and my heart are in two different places and I'm trying to pull people down. Like that helped me regain confidence in in areas that could just because i identified it and i could see like oh this is why i'm doing it Mm -hmm. this is what's happening when i'm doing it and then when i started to do it i've almost completely stopped yeah i don't know if it's possible to ever completely stop but i have triggers in my mind and then one of the things that you said to me was like and i would say and i did it again and i went in there and i picked the guy apart and i was like i hate it and you're like there stop you hate it you're hate that's you you're hating and i'm like oh so i so i stopped doing that but you would help me identify the things that i was doing and slowly and so i would do it and then i would go don't do that you're and then i would start to and i would don't self deprecate why are you doing it mm-hmm. and then observe it right observe you got to become the observer instead yeah. of uh, you, what you were doing was a lot of judgment, right? Yep. Even if, even when you were self-correcting what you were doing and what we worked on, I was like, you're, yeah, you're self-correcting and you're also saying you're a bad, terrible person for fucking up. Yeah. You can just remove that part, right? Yeah. yeah. And so teaching you how to turn that off and then emotionally regulate without needing that fix, yeah. you know, to yeah. do that because your relationship with yourself was poor in that area yeah. and you're used to feeling poor. And guess what? When you don't feel poor, and you start to have good feelings about yourself, your brain is unfamiliar with that. And it's like, I don't know what this feels like. Let's go back to hating ourselves. Yep. So in the years of three years, plus four maybe, with two different, ther- of EM- I, in the six weeks that we've worked together, I've identified so much more of what I was doing. So again, nothing against EMDR, but for me, I have gained so much more just in the six weeks that we've worked together just through I like identifying and helping me understand what I'm doing cognitively and then giving me simple steps and simple. Some of this stuff and, and simple meaning the answer is fairly simple, but the practice is difficult. The work is on me. It's, it's yeah. a lot like a physical trainer, right? It's So we talked about physical training. 
it's easy to go to a physical trainer and he says, okay, these are the weights. This is the, the, this is the diet. When you go home, you need to eat this and you need to do that. Well, that part's fairly simple. Going and doing the work is what's difficult for most people. You have to apply it. Okay. It's yeah. not like, it's not enough to know. Yeah. It's just not. A lot of us do know better. Okay. But it, there's some, there's some challenges that we have to overcome, like emotional addictions. We have to overcome that, right? That want to keep us stuck in the same behavior patterns. You have thought loops that automatically occur, right? They automatically occur. You being aware of that doesn't change that. Okay. Yeah. You have to become aware of it and then do something differently. So you need to know what that is to do something differently. Like I can't just be like, that's what I was getting in therapy was like, okay, I'm aware that I'm having these negative thoughts and I shouldn't have, what do I do though? Like, it's not enough to just say a few affirmations. It's yeah. just not, you know? Yeah. So, you know, making those those kinds of shifts. But I'm glad that it, I'm glad that, you know, we haven't even been working together that long. So mm. I'm glad that it has been helpful. It has. So um, we'll post this on YouTube, but we also have um, audio listeners that are just in their cars. So I don't know if you're taking on new clients. Are you taking on new clients? I am. Yeah, I am taking on new clients. Um, I don't have a ton of openings. I do get, I do get quite, quite busy, quite full. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of first come, first serve. <laughs> okay. So Jamie Lynn's taking clients, telehealth, so you can be anywhere. It's crazy how many listeners I have. Um, it, we, we did a couple conferences and I realized like how many people listen to the pot, which love and respect mm -hmm. all of you. Thank you so much. But so where do people find you if they are interested in that or they want to follow your content or your podcasts um, for the listeners, the YouTube? We'll put links in all this also, but let's talk about um, therapy. How do we contact um, Jamie Lynn for therapy? Um, so you can shoot me an email. Um, it is jamiegillettelmft at gmail.com. So you can reach me there for business inquiries. Uh, you can slide into my DMs at Jamie Lynn. You'll have the link on your podcast. You can, a lot of people just contact me there. Um, and then I have a podcast coming out called Pink Pill, which will have additional information, um, which I think you'll link as well. Yeah, so, I will. I'll link all those yeah. things. So if you're listening in the car, go to um, Door to Door Insider on um, Door to Door dot Insider on Instagram and on Jamie's profile picture with the release, we'll have the links for all of her contact information. So you guys can um, look her up and check stuff out, follow the Instagram and listen to Pink Pill. Mm -hmm. I'm excited yes. for that one. I know. I'm yeah. super excited. It's going to be good. So Jamie, thank you for um, coming on, um, allowing, um, thank you for helping me. Thank you for, I, I don't know how many people you help. Um, I imagine it has to feel rewarding when you see success stories and like people actually applying stuff. I appreciate you taking your time to come out and do this um, and help our listeners. Hopefully the the vulnerability in, in this has helped somebody out there realize like, Hey, it's don't just continue to do what you're doing. Seek help, become a better person. Um, so I appreciate you coming on the show. Well, I just want to thank you for your time as well. Like, um, you know, a lot of times I don't always get to see, I, I work with people, but it's, it's, I don't always get to see, the the end results or or hear a person's experience or feedback so this has been like really helpful for me too and i appreciate you just being so open and vulnerability with what your experience has been the good bad the ugly like it all i i very much appreciate your openness and i think you've i think i think it's really hard again to be a man especially and to, to share those parts of yourself right so you know guys if you are listening girls too but you know especially guys if you're listening like 
mental health can be really taboo for you. And I would, there are people that can really, you know, support you through that. And I would just encourage you to find a community, find mental health care, like somebody that you can start to bounce things off of it and processes because you shouldn't be suffering in silence. Mm, I love that. Don't suffer in silence. All right, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you.